and welcome back to the Sailor's Daughter podcast where we are navigating personal and professional resilience. My name is Kimber Marie and this is the second installment, if you will, of the interview I had with Sarah Lorenzen, who is a certified financial educator at Oklahoma College Assistance Program. I connected with Sarah on LinkedIn. I was looking for someone who could speak on you know, student loans and student financing for higher education. I found her on LinkedIn and immediately just knew that she would be the right person to go to. Um, If you have listened to our first episode, we dive into the jargon surrounding student loans. Again, these are just for these episodes are just for educational purposes. So Sarah broke down all the different terms that surround student loans, such as consolidation, the different types of loans, federal versus private, student plus, all these names that can get overwhelming very quickly uh, if you are looking to pull out student loans to finance your higher education experience. The second episode is really more um, personal, I would say. And again, this episode is really just meant for education purposes. Um, Something that I have learned in starting a podcast, uh, which everyone seems to be starting a podcast these days, but that's just the nature of the world we're in right now. Um, But something that I have learned having to listen to myself back during the editing process is how to improve going forward. So I apologize if there are any kind of like audio or interviewing um, inconsistencies or uh, interruptions. Uh, that may make listening to this episode a little distracting. I apologize for those. I am definitely working on that. Uh, But to keep moving forward, because Sarah does provide some great information that I really want to share, this episode, you will hear us talking about refinancing rules of thumb, uh, fixed and variable interest rates, a question that we dive into are, are student loans right for you? finding scholarships, picking out schools, managing expectations, what to do before and after graduation if you have pulled out student loans, and then trying to get ahead on payments and early payment. Again, I just want to stress that this is for education purposes, especially when you're listening to me talk. Um, I did not take, let's say, the most financially literate uh, path with student loans. So if you hear me say, don't do this, don't do that, I am speaking from an anecdotal uh, kind of place. Uh, Please take whatever I say with a grain of salt. Um, When you're hearing Sarah talk, I mean, she is a certified financial educator. So even though she's not a financial coach, um, her background is, you know, far more experienced than I am. And that's why I wanted to have her on here. So I am excited for you to hear this episode. And I hope you take away something from it. I love that that helps to empower people to make not just like educated next best step decisions like what is my next best step uh but it also like streamlines that process and kind of like takes you there um i guess for so for private loans it would depend on the bank right so like you would have to rely on whatever website or information they have for repayment options or loan calculators that's something you would have to go directly to 
you know, that banker, if you refinanced, uh, like in my situation, um, yeah. yeah. And go actually going back to the refinancing discussion, just a little bit for people who like me, <laughs> maybe I'm asking this selfishly, um, who have refinanced private loans, is there like a rule of thumb for refinancing? Like, sh like, as I've heard some people, you know, you can refinance more than once, um, is there kind of any advice on that, like what you should be looking for and when you should do it? I would, I would definitely compare interest rates before you make a decision. Okay. Um, I would realistically look at what type of payment you can make, um, and, and sort of have an idea of what terms are going to work best for you. Um, and really have in mind what your goal is, is your goal that like you, need to have your payment lower so you can make sure that you're able to make the payment every month or are you just trying to get it paid off so you're okay with you know a shorter term and a larger payment um and i'd make sure to compare interest rates you can look up um, the servicers online and while it won't give you your exact you know what you will qualify for because they have to run your credit in order to do that you can can look online and you can get a gauge of sort of the range of what they charge for those types of loans. And I would make sure to do your research on that before you choose a lender. Um, because like I said, it, it does vary widely. Um, you know, you, some of them are, are great. Some of them may not be so great. You just really need to do your research before deciding if that's the way to go. And when it comes to like picking between a fixed or variable interest rate, do you have any thoughts or like advice in figuring out which one might be best for someone if they're in that situation? I don't really have any ad advice per se. Right. Um, you know, it's really going to depend on their personal situation. But um, I personally am always a fan of a fixed interest rate because you can always refinance and then you're not subject to what the economy is doing. Um, you know, just like with a mortgage, right? Like you don't necessarily want a variable interest rate mortgage because like, you know, the folks that had them during COVID were very, very happy because interest rates were very, very low. But right now the interest rates are going back up again. And, you know, it's making it to where folks with variable mortgages may be having a hard time making their payments, depending on how much that that has gone up every month. So I, I personally will always go for fixed rate if fixed rate is an option, because yeah. if you need to change the interest rate, you can always refinance later mm -hmm. to a lower fixed interest rate. But that way you don't have to worry about it fluctuating and you know, you have the same payment every month. Awesome. And so I guess, you know, for our next part of the discussion, when a student is considering like going to undergrad or going to graduate school, and maybe it's a separate process uh, for both, what would be your steps for discerning whether student loans are right for this hypothetical student? Oh, that is a great question. Um, so generally what I tell my students is to try in every scenario, try to find a way to pay for it without student loans first. Yeah. Now you and I both know as first gen students, like sometimes you just can't, right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I always tell, tell students that when you take out a student loan, you are investing in yourself. 
right? Like you're betting on yourself. So I'm definitely not saying student loans are bad or like don't take out student loans ever, but there are ways around it. Have you looked up scholarships, right? You know, there was a common misconception when I was in school that you had to be like a, a academic scholar or a, you know, a D1 athlete um, or something to get a scholarship. But the truth is there are scholarships everywhere for yeah. all kinds of things. Um, you know, if you have a disability, there's probably a scholarship out there that you could apply for. If you are of certain ethnicities, you could probably do that. Um, you know, I've seen scholarships for members of the LGBTQIA community. Um, I have seen scholarships out there that are super random, like you just have to write an essay about something, like they give you a prompt. Um, one of my favorites is there is a website called unigo.com, U-N-I-G-O.com. Um, and I tell a lot of our undergraduate students who we talk to about it. They have all kinds of like fun prompt scholarships. Like my personal favorite is one that's due on Halloween every year. And it is, uh, you write... I think it's like 250 words. It might be a little bit longer than that. But basically you write an essay about what you would do in the zombie apocalypse. Like, how would you survive? I wish that and, I had known about that. Right? <laughs> Scholarship. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I, I wish that I had known that there was scholarships that just by being creative, which yeah. is something that, I mean, I took creative writing in high school. I would have killed that if I had known that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so they have a bunch of different ones. They also have one that, um, the due date is sometime in the summer and it's, um, like if, uh, you were an ice cream flavor, what would you be and why, mm. you know? So there's stuff for as, as big as, yeah, like you can get full ride scholarships for, you know, academics or, um, some other sort of merit-based aid, but there's also scholarships that you can go out and get for whatever reason, you know, whatever, whatever town you're in, do they have a community foundation? I live in Oklahoma city and our Oklahoma city community foundation has a ton of scholarships for Oklahoma students. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some of them are like, you have to be, um, like you had to have graduated from this district or you had to have, um, I've even seen some, like you had to graduate, been a member of this church, or you had to have been, um, like going to this, this local Oklahoma city Metro school, um, you know, like our community college here or whatever. So there are tons out there. You can even go and Google scholarships, um, like scholarships for X, um, check out local businesses, check out local libraries. Um, there's so many of them. Yeah. So that's my first thing is make sure that you're taking whatever free money. And I use that term loosely, <laughs> free money, um, of scholarships and grants that you can use first. And that's particularly for undergrad students. Cause I know that graduate students don't necessarily qualify for grants, but as an undergrad, make sure that you are getting as many grants and scholarships as you can. Um, your grants are going to be based on financial need. So if maybe your family makes too much to qualify for a lot of the, um, you know, the grants, get on looking for those scholarships. There yeah. are millions of dollars left on the table every year because people don't apply for them. Yeah. Um, 
make sure that you are applying for things that have essays as much as they just really stink to write. Um, Everyone thinks that. And so most people don't apply for them. So you have a lot more chance of getting those types of things. Um, So definitely those are, that's my first step, right? Make sure you're taking all of that. And then um, seek out things like work study for graduate students, uh, seek out things like graduate assistantships or being an RA or things that will actually pay you um, to work on campus, right? Most of the time, because it's on campus, it will help you uh, around work around your school schedule, makes it a little bit better to than maybe having a part-time job. But if you're going to have a part-time job, look for places that seek tuition reimbursement. Um, no, that <laughs> that was something I could search for. Like, wow, yeah, it, <laughs> that it is. Been, yeah, it it is. Um, things like places like Walmart and Target, uh, Starbucks, um, they offer tuition reimbursement for um for certain degrees. Um, there's lots of others out there. You just have to see who does it. You know, if if you're a student that lives with your parents, still look at what um your parents job did do they offer any kind of tuition benefits for like their students um got a parent that's in the military you know they have get gi bill benefits and and things of that nature they've got assistance programs um you know there's lots of options there and then just save up as much as you can, even if just working a part-time job helps you pay for your books every semester. So you don't have to take out a student loan to pay for your books every semester. That's going to help. Yeah. Um, but after that, if you still need to take out student loans, only take out what you absolutely need. And what would be your advice for budgeting and figuring that out? Because I know that that's something that I also struggled with. And like the the act of figuring that out felt so daunting. <laughs> I did have some people say, you know, well, you'd rather have, you know, more than enough and then just use that to pay back when it's time to start paying back. Uh, but looking back, that's probably not like the best approach to it. Uh, so yeah, any advice? I mean, and again, that depends on, in some ways that definitely helped me. Uh, but in, you know, now that I'm close to getting back to repaying, I probably could have been a little more judicious in figuring out how much to take out. Yeah, I I agree with that one. I, I definitely relate to that because people said that and then I ended up spending the money because I had it instead <laughs> of uh, not... I, I would really sit down and have an honest conversation with yourself of like what you absolutely need. Um, see what things maybe you can cut back. Can, can you keep living at home for a little while so you don't end up having to pay for rent? If you do have to pay for rent, can you get roommates to help keep that, that money down? And then, and then actually put together what your expenses are going to look like for six months to a year right? How much is your rent every month? How much is your, your insurance for your car, car payment, if you have one, how much is, um, food going to cost and, and add all of that stuff up and then look at it in, you know, every semester, how much do you need? And, and once you have that number, you can look and say, okay, well, can I get say a part-time job to do X, Y, and Z part of this? 
And that way I only have to take out student loans to pay for this part of this. Um, and, and take a real honest look at it because, you know, there's an old saying, live like a broke college student while you're in college. So you don't have to live like a broke college student when you're out of college. <laughs> um, and as someone who uh, has been paying back my loans for a long time, I can tell you that there is definitely truth in that statement. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, try to just be as kind of minimalist as possible. Definitely make sure you still have what you need, right? Make sure you have some money stashed away for an emergency because that still happens. Um, you know, you lose your part-time job, your roommate moves out, you have a tire blow on your car and you need it to get to and from campus. Like those things happen. So make sure that you've got some money stashed away in savings, but I would see the bare minimum that you need because this is a common misconception, especially with federal loans, right? And you can, and this even works with private loans because you can always take out an additional loan if you need to. If they offer you say $3,000 a semester mm -hmm. and you only need $1,500, you only have to take out $1,500. And if you come back a couple months later and go, hey, I actually need another 500 bucks to get me until the end of the semester. You can go and take out an additional 500 bucks. You don't have to take out the initial 3000 right out of the gate. Um, yes, you can. I, I, you know, speak at our, our medical school here a lot to our students about student loans. And I mean, you understand as a law student, medical student, like there are sometimes you just can't work. Like that's just not something you you can afford to do. Yeah. Um, in which case, just see the bare minimum that you you can get by with and then only take out that amount and mm -hmm. just be really strict on yourself. Um, put that money in savings so you don't see it. <laughs> so you're not tempted to spend it. Yeah. Um, and then give yourself an allowance every month of like, this is what I have to, you know, make sure that I have a roof over my head and food in my stomach and clothes on my back and I can get what, get to and from school and don't take out more than you need. Yeah. I you also know? like, um, I'm, would like your thoughts on this subject of, like picking out what school you're going to. Um, like I actually had one student or she's working now, but a person reached out to me asking for advice about taking the LSAT and going to law school. And my advice to her was like, figure out, like just broadly speaking, what are your non-negotiables? Because for me with law school specifically, and this is what led me to be more financially smart when it came to pursuing law school was I took the LSAT to figure out which school I could go to, not the other way around. There's like a lot of students where like, oh, I have to go to this school because my parents went there or, you know, this one sounds so nice. It's my dream school. Um, but, you know, some of those schools just kind of have kind of like, you know, kind of elitist. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say they're horrible, right? Like I don't, if yeah. you've always dreamt of going to Yale, by all means, go to Yale, but there's a way to approach it more realistically. What would be your thoughts on that? Because looking back for me, I definitely, like knowing what I know now, if I knew it then, I would have done two years of community college and just didn't did my basic like GE requirements, or I think that's what they're called, GE requirements. And then I would have gone out of state to whatever, to College of Charleston, which is where I went. Um, so I'd love any thoughts you have on that. 
aspect. Well, you you actually pretty much summed up what my what my <laughs> thoughts are just in in kind of what cool. you said. But um, generally, what I tell students is kind of what you said. There is nothing like if you have always dreamed of going to Yale and you have you know worked your tail off and you know that's where you want to go. Great, but do understand that going to Yale there is a price tag to going to a school like Yale. When it comes to your general ed or GE requirements, it's going to be the same whether you go to a community college or whether you go to a huge four-year university. Yeah. You know, and in some cases, it may actually be easier to get into the big fancy school as a transfer student than it is as a first year going straight in. Yeah. You know, um, I always recommend... I think community college is great, especially unrelated to the money thing. If you are a person who came from like a small town school, I always recommend community college over going to a big, huge university because it can be major culture shock. You yeah. know, my, my partner and I have had this conversation, you know, he came from a fairly small high school and went straight into university of Oklahoma, which is a humongous school. And he definitely will admit like his grades suffered because he just wasn't prepared for classes with, you know, yeah. 500 of your closest freshmen. And, you know, and it was, it was overwhelming yeah. on top of the fact that that costs a lot of money. And that is not picking on OU because I went to OU <laughs> myself, but, um, but, but realistically, like, yeah. you know, you can get the same Englishes and maths and sciences and humanities classes that you need for your gen eds from a community college. The mm. only thing I would caution is if you're going to do that, make sure that you look for a transfer guide from the school you're trying to go into to make sure you're taking classes that will transfer. Yes. Um, because yeah. I have had plenty of friends who did not do that and then got a nasty surprise when then they got to their four-year school and some of their classes didn't transfer. They had to take them over again. Um, so, so definitely make sure you're going to check it, but, but I, I am a huge advocate for community college, especially when it comes to your gen eds, especially for the cost, you know, in many States, um, you know, community college is, is lower cost. Um, some States even cover community college for where they're in. I know, um, here in Oklahoma city, um, for graduates of our Oklahoma City uh, public school system, uh, they can go to our Oklahoma City Community College, uh, you know, with a tuition scholarship um, from the school because they graduated. Like they don't actually, they actually get it a lot cheaper than trying to go to one of the other universities. Take advantage of those things. Yeah. Um, if you have something like that in your area. Um for high school students going into college, see if they have some sort of concurrent enrollment. Um, that is something we have here in Oklahoma where high school students, um, juniors and seniors can go without having to pay tuition. They can actually attend college classes. And so I have friends who have children who have graduated in the last couple of years and they're, I mean, they're gradu graduating high school with, you know, 18 hours of college credit under their belt because they've been taking like one or two college classes every semester for the last couple of years as a concurrent. Yep. And it, and it's been no cost to them. So they I come in and 
more actually. Yeah, I, did, I would have done that too. <laughs> I had a few of those. Like I had a few classes that counted like that just immediately like, oh, yep, you got that check. Don't ever have to do it again Um, when I went to college. But had I known like, oh, wow, this could probably shave off like a whole year, you know, like I would have taken more and prioritized that. Yeah, yeah. That that's definitely kind of my, my two things is don't shy yeah. away from community college if you have the option to take some sort of concurrent enrollment, they call it different things in different states, but um, definitely take advantage of that if you have the option. Um, also, I would just take advantage of community resources at your school to help with cost. Um, you know, many, many schools have food pantries and have, um, you know, clothing closets and, and things of that nature that you can utilize. So you're not having to spend that money on, on things, or they can help supplement. So you're not having to take out more loans because, you know, you're a couple bucks short on buying groceries that month. Um, you know, what most people don't know is many students because they have no income because they're living on financial aid actually qualify for SNAP benefits. Um, you know, formally known as food stamps, if people don't, don't know what SNAP is. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's important too. make sure that you're seeking out whatever those community resources are to help you because it'll save you in the long run from having to take out loans to pay for those things. But really I would sit down and be realistic. And especially for folks that are like in high school, getting ready to go to college or even in community college, getting ready to go to bigger school, or even folks like you who are in law school or getting ready to go to law school, I would sit down and really have a conversation with the folks in your life about what you can realistically afford. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, you, you, when we were chatting prior to this, you sort of mentioned, you know, like you just need a JD to, in order to practice law. Like you don't necessarily need to have a JD from, from Yale, right? Like that's great if you have one, but you don't necessarily need to. Um, and, and that's true, you know, as long as you are from an accredited school, you don't necessarily need to have, you know, your BA in communications from some XYZ school, see what you can realistically afford. Um, you know, I wanted to go to an out-of-state school too. And when we sat down and looked at the numbers, there was just no way that we could afford it. I'd probably be in even more debt than I am <laughs> had I gone to an out-of-state school. Um, so, you know, I went the community college route and then went to a regional university, um, you know, regional four-year. And my degree now is just as good as the degree that I would have gotten if I went out of state and I spent a lot less money on it. <laughs> Yeah, and that was going to be something that I wanted to kind of just mention just from like, I guess this is just my own opinion on it. Like, I feel like there's still that aspect of like, not peer pressure, but like society pressure of the college experience, you know, and I'm not knocking on that. It is great. Uh, but you don't have to have that like right out of high school. You know, I, there's like a lot to be said for people who take off a year and work and figure out what they actually want to do in college because it really sucks to get in there and like every semester changing your mind what am I going to do what and then you end up with a degree that might not be as helpful as it was when you started you know there's so many different layers to it that it never hurts to kind of take time to work and like 
this is going to sound like so cheesy, but just like really reflect on who you are and what you want. Um, I know that also, I know that also helped before law school. Like I didn't go straight from undergrad to law school, which I'm not knocking that. I know plenty of people who are doing it and they've done it and they've done really well with that. Um, But I will say that there is a benefit to taking one to two years off to work before pursuing a grad program. One, because you get that experience under your belt. Had I not had that work experience, I very well could have started law school and then immediately regretted it because at that time it wasn't you know, it wasn't a good choice for me. Um, Or I could have ended up going a completely separate path and regretting it because I didn't take that time to really understand what it is I want. So that huge tangent, just to say like, yes, people collectively keep pushing this like college experience, you know, it's the best four years of your life. I hate it when people say that. I'm sorry, if college is the best four years of your life, that's sad. We should constantly be looking to have like the best year of our life every year, you know? Um, So I feel like there's something to be said for taking into account expectations that maybe we're putting on ourselves or maybe our parents, family, or friends are, and really looking at it and saying, am I going to let this expectation affect the realistic situation that I'm in, like my reality? Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. And and I know it was a little tangent from what we planned on talking about, but 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 it it really is. I mean, in in my own example, like my undergraduate degree is in communications. And I got out, I worked in communications for a few years, and I decided that while I love communications and I'm a total nerd when it comes to like, you know, mass communications, broadcasting, like social media, like that whole thing. Like I'm a complete nerd nerd for it. It wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. What I actually really enjoyed was education. And that was what I went back and, and ended up getting my master's degree in was adult education and corporate training, because I realized I loved being in the classroom. And that was something that I wouldn't have gotten without the work experience of, I had gone and worked at a nonprofit after I graduated from undergrad. And then one of my like job things was I got to work with students. I traveled all over the state. I worked with students. I got to put together education, like educational programming for them. And I realized that I really loved that. And that was what I really wanted to do. So I ended up going back and getting a degree in education. And that is what I do now. And I look back and I'm like, that was the best decision to to do that. You know, and even if it's something like taking a year off to go do something like AmeriCorps, Yes, you could do a AmeriCorps volunteer. They give you a stipend to live on, which isn't a tremendous amount, but they give you an educational award afterwards to help you pay for school. And you get experience of working in nonprofits or working with other people and doing different things. And you can kind of suss out like, what do I actually want to do? Right? Like, is this is, you know, you can try to, to get something and like, your field of, of that you're wanting to study and go, is this really what I want to do with my life? Yeah. And I you know, like, yeah. And one more thing, and then I promise I will like get off my soapbox with this, <laughs> you're fine. it's definitely been very prevalent going to a law school. Like, I'm just going to say it, we're not in the top, you know, like top 20 law schools in the country. It's still a great law school. You know, uh, the school that I go to really prioritizes 
residency experience, getting clinical experience along with class experience and really pushes like practical writing. And something that has come up like outside of school is this fear of how many employers are going to look at my resume and not hire me because I don't go to this super expensive you know, Ivy League school. And I, I'm sure that there are other industries where people in my situation feel the same way. But I feel like after the varsity blues scandal and just the way that society's kind of going right now, that elite, elitist kind of way of viewing education is kind of starting to fall apart. So if you're a student trying to plan, where am I going to go? What do I want to do? Don't just go to the school that is number one on the list. You know, like mm -hmm. there are still so many, you know, benefits to going to schools that are close to home or maybe ones that you wouldn't have thought of before. So I only say that just because I know from a, like a graduate student perspective, sometimes there's still that influence of, you know, elitism that kind of plays a role. And I feel like that probably pushes a lot of people financially to make decisions that otherwise they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, so I just feel like, I don't know, it's important for me to say to these people in that situation, don't let that be the one thing that pushes you to make that decision. Like you have to have more to it, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I feel like there's a lot of emphasis and even still, but especially like when I was younger and going through school that, you know, you had to get into your dream school. And like, that was, that was the end goal. But the truth is once you get out of school and you get into the workforce, they're not necessarily, I mean, yes, some, there are some employers that still look at that, you know, like I'd be doing a disservice to the people that are watching if I didn't say that, yes, there are some employers that still, still think that way. However, the vast majority of them want to know that you can do the job. Yeah. They don't want to have to train you more than they absolutely have to. They want you to be able to, you know, plug in and, and get going and, and be able to do the job. And there are plenty of great, not as expensive schools that, you know, will allow you to do that. Yeah. And, you know, so definitely consider those, you know, you, you can definitely still go to the Harvards and the Yales and the, you know, whatever school you want to, if that is your, you know, what you want to do, but don't let, oh, well, I need to have this in order to get a good job, be a reason why you, um, you know, you don't make that decision. Um, because the truth is once you get out in the workforce, a hiring manager is going to care less that you got your degree from, you know, a top 50 school versus a top 10 school, as long as you can do the job. So, um, our last question is leading up to, because you've, you've gone over like how to plan for student loans, how to approach discerning it, um, steps you can take, you know, like while you're in school, um, leading up to graduation and then beyond, what should every student know about paying off student loans? That's a great question. Um, I would say the first thing you need to know and also just things that you need to do is you need to get on studentaid.gov and look and figure out what you actually are looking at as far as your payments. Now, if I could go back and tell my myself, I would say to monitor your balances every semester and make sure that, that you're looking at that you know loan simulator before you're taking out more loans to make sure that you're take, not taking out more than you can reasonably pay off. You know, um, my rule of thumb is I always say for like undergraduate degrees, 
don't take out more than you you can realistically make in your very first year of working because okay. after that you're going to end up causing yourself financial stress more that so than you need to changed my plan <laughs> significantly <laughs> I wish I had heard that <laughs> yes and and the, it, that's very much the truth you know I as I mentioned earlier I have degree in communications and you know my I started working in public relations and you know I have a cousin lives in Baltimore she also works in public relations and so, you know she's a couple years older than me but we started working within about five years of each other she started making significantly more money than I did because of where she lived. Like she lives in Baltimore. Yeah. I live in Oklahoma city, you know, Oklahoma city is cost of living is lower. So they don't pay as much. Well, I mean, thankfully in undergrad, I got a lot of grants and things because I was, uh, you know, a first gen with, from a single parent home, but I still had to look at the fact that I had those loans I had to pay off. And, and if I had looked at, oh, well, I could start out making you know, 45, $50,000 a year right out the gate, I would have been in a whole lot of hurt because in, you know, right out of school, I was making $30,000 a year, actually a little bit less than that, right out of, right, like that very first year out of school. Yeah. Um, and I feel like students don't do enough research on that to know realistically, yeah, you're not going to make crap <laughs> when you first get out of school. That's just how it works. Um, but that doesn't mean that you, you can't pay those off. I would, I would make sure to go to studentaid.gov, look at those repayment plans, right? And don't just plan for wor- best case scenario of <laughs> I'm going to pay it off in 10 years. Plan for worst case scenario because yeah. that happens. You know, during your grace period with your federal loans, you get about a six month grace period. Once you've graduated before you have to start repaying your loans. I took that grace period. (laughs) (laughs) Private loans generally don't give you a grace period, but some of them might. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But for your federal loans, take advantage of that, that six months. Find out what that payment is before you graduate and then start taking that payment out of your paychecks every month and putting it in savings. For two reasons. One, you have money in savings in case something happens and you, you know, have a tire blowout or your roommate moves out or all of those things that we mentioned earlier. Or, but also you're used to the money being gone. So you just get yourself in the habit of paying that, that bill every single month because it is a lot easier to deal without the money than to have to find the money six months later when you've been, you know, lifestyle inflation, you got your first big kid job, you're really excited about it, you spend all this money. Yeah. So it's important to make sure that you're doing that, um, you know, taking advantage of it, but also get familiar with who your servicer is, mm-hmm. right? Pay extra if you can. Uh, you know, I talked to our, our medical students um, here, I always tell them if you get any like sign on bonuses or even your tax returns for the first few years, make lump sum to principal payments. Um, make sure you're making it to principal because if your principal goes down, there is less principal for them to charge you interest on. So it will save you money later on, but also it'll help you pay it off faster if you're making these big lump sum payments as you can. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's not realistic for everyone, but where you can, make extra payments to principal, even if it's an extra 
50 bucks a month to principal, do that because it'll benefit you because it'll pay it off that much faster. Yeah. But if you're gonna, if you run into any problems, right, you can't find a job, you get laid off, you, um, you know, have some emergency happen, talk to your servicer about your options because you do not want to default on your loans. You do have options. If you default, there's loan rehabilitation. You can consolidate your defaulted loans into a new loan to help get it back into good standing so you can start paying it again. But it is a massive headache to try to have to do that. So prevent it. Stay in contact with your servicer because they are a lot nicer <laughs> if yeah. you talk to them first, <laughs> if they don't have to start coming after you for the money. And looking at, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. I had a good question for you. Give yourself a second. Yeah. Okay. So this might have to do with, this might be like a case by case thing, but when it comes to, again, private loans, and I just keep throwing it out there because you know, there, I'm, I know me included that there are some people out there who have had to pull out private loans. I remember calling my provider asking, can I make a separate payment to my principal? And they don't do that. Um, so in that case, the way I understood it is, okay, pay the minimum and then just pay extra. Does that essentially work the same way? That's or a good question. And <laughs> It is a case-by-case -case basis, but um, you a lot of times with private loans, especially even like your auto loans, things like that, if you just pay extra, what it does is it goes towards that next month's payments. Uh, and so it ends up going towards interest versus going towards the principal. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that because you're still getting ahead, like you're paying it off a little bit faster but some lenders, even especially private lenders, they don't they don't allow for paying to principal. And that's another thing to look at when you take them out. Yeah. When you're reading that mass promissory note, reading the contract on your private loan, do they allow for early payoff without a penalty? Because that's definitely something that you'd want to to look at. Because if they don't, then you're like, oh, well, great. Now I'm just going to have to pay it every month and I can't do anything to try to get ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it is helpful. I'm not, I'm not going to tell anyone not to do it, um, but it's definitely not as effective that as trying to pay it straight to principal because it'll pay that off faster. So just making sure to look at the fine print beforehand, yes. which, you know, <laughs> learn from my mistakes, listener, <laughs> obviously <laughs> in this situation, but, um, and that leads to my next question, which again, just like went right out of my head. What was it had to do with, oh, so I wanted to get your thoughts on, I have, you know, come across like two kind of personal approaches to paying off student loans that kind of makes me laugh. Some people say, well, it's going to take me years to do it anyways. I'm just going to pay the minimum, whatever, like just okay with like taking it as long as possible. And then other people who are not, who are like, no, I want to pay this off as soon as humanly possible. Um, is there a better approach or is it one of those situations where, and this is, and I guess this question, let's say hypothetically, this is in both situations, you have people, they have a job, 
they're making their payments, you know, it's not so much a concern of not making enough to do one or the other. Um, what would be, I guess, the best approach if there even is one to go ahead and just pay everything off as soon as possible. So you're not paying more over time or just kind of saying, you know, why does it matter? Everyone's got student loans, you know, then you have more each month because you're not putting it all towards paying it off as soon as humanly possible. So that's a really great question. And I'm trying to think of how I want to answer that. Um, and it's kind of weird. The I, financial I, I, educator in me <laughs> says, pay it off as soon as possible. Get out from underneath it. Also, the student loan borrower in me who has been, you know, paying off mine for the last 15 years and, and hasn't gotten them paid off yet, says, just go ahead and pay it off. You know, I actually had someone tell me I was very much that first mindset when I got out of school. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had an older gentleman. I just randomly, you know, here in Oklahoma, like everybody will strike up conversations with you for no, no reason. Like in the lines waiting for stuff. Nice. And I was actually at the school, at my school, trying to get a copy of my transcript. And I started chatting with a guy in line who was doing the same thing. And he was, he was older. He was probably 20 or 30 years, my senior at the time. And he, he was like, well, you know, like you really need to just take all of that money that, that you paid, make sure to just pay those loans off. Now, don't ask me where that came from. I don't remember how the, we got on that conversation. I don't even know why he was trying to give me financial advice on the line <laughs> at the, at the uh, you know, registrar's office. But he did, he said, you know, just pay it off as fast as possible. And I remember thinking, all right, old man, like whatever, <laughs> you know, and then, but now 15 years down the line, I'm like, you know, he wasn't that far off because, you know, it, yes, you can pay the the bare minimum. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. If, if, as long as you are making your payments, I mean, it, that's fine. Like there's no, no judgment here from me. Um, but it can become a burden if you do not pay them off. You know, if you are, especially if you end up having to like take a deferment here or take a forbearance here and you don't just get it paid off, it ends up snowballing after a while. And then it becomes almost an unbearable burden. So like if I had it to where I could go back to, you know, 22 year old Sarah and say, Hey, stupid, like, just listen to the man, like pay, pay off your loans as fast as possible. You know, don't take out so many loans when you go to grad school. I would do that. Yeah. Um, you know, now I, I, I atone for that, for telling everyone else not to do that. I, <laughs> I have turned the tables and turned into that old person <laughs> telling people not to do that. Yeah. Um, but my, my strategy is going to be paid off get it out of your hair um, where you don't have to deal with it. Now there's a completely other school of thinking where, especially with federal loans, because you've got, you know, your income driven repayment, there's another school of thinking where you can do your income driven repayment plan and then take that money you're saving and put it into a retirement account, which is also just as beneficial, right? Because then you've got compound interest playing on your side in the retirement account versus on your student loans, where it is doing the exact opposite. Um, you know, and, and that's a good strategy too. 
And in hindsight, if I could do that again, that's probably what I would do. Instead of trying to just make sure I make all of my payments, I would have gotten on an income driven repayment plan from the word go. And I would take that money and put some of it in retirement when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that's advice for everybody else. Everybody has to look at, at their right. financial situation and, and work out what works best for them. But for me, that's what I would have done is, is I would have made sure to make my payments, but then invested more for retirement and then made extra payments towards my student loans when I could to make sure that I got it paid off as fast as possible um, without sacrificing, not paying off, uh, you know, not saving for retirement, which, you know, uh, I am very much your stereotypical millennial and the fact that a lot of us did that, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of us went and we were told to pay off our student loans. And so we put money towards our student loans, but didn't actually save for retirement. Cause so we're like, oh yeah, we've got time. We don't have to save for retirement now. We can pay off our student loans and then save for retirement. And I would go back and just shake all of us and say, don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This has been really great. I feel like there's still so much more that we could talk about um, just because there's so much to the conversation, but uh, just to close us up, is there anything else that, you know, you want to share? Like what's like the one thing that if you could have every student just inherently know, <laughs> what would that be? Oh, I would say to only borrow what you need. It is very tempting to be able to just, you know, sign that document and have money to live your best life while you're in college. Um, But there's a lot of years after college and, um, you know, sacrificing for four years to, you know, just do kind of the minimum that you need to. And that's not to say like, you shouldn't have mental health days and you shouldn't go do fun things while you're in college because you're young, enjoy yourself, but be mindful of the fact that you are going to have to pay it back with interest. So don't take out more than you absolutely need because it's going to end up causing you more strife down the line where you're not going to be able to enjoy your life after college when you're actually making really good big kid money and you can afford those things and you're not going to be able to afford those things because you'll end up having to put them all towards your student loans. (laughs) It sounds like so simple, right? But that's what I took for granted whenever I was mm-hmm. sitting down, you know, pulling these loans out, um, not taking the time to just get over that fear of not knowing what to do and figuring out what to do to budget and only take out what I need. So if you're listening and you're in that situation, I definitely recommend listening to that piece of advice as well as everything else that you shared today. Um, how can listeners reach out to you or do you have any, you know, I know you're based in Oklahoma. Are you able to work with people outside of Oklahoma or is it? Well, I am not a financial coach. So okay. unfortunately I, I can't do a lot of um, individualized counseling, okay. um, you know, but I would definitely say I am on LinkedIn. If people are are wanting to just reach out to get more information, I am happy to share um, resources if I have them, um, direct people to different resources. Um, if they have advice about their personal situation and they're trying to kind of figure this out, I highly recommend finding a financial advisor, um, especially if you are in that repayment or getting ready to go into repayment. Um, to actually sit down and talk to a professional that that's what they do all day is advise people on their finances yeah. um, to 
you know, get that information. Is there like a trustworthy way to find a financial advisor? There, there is. Um, I would definitely look up the national associations for financial planners, financial advisors. Um, they have their own like databases of, of their members that are vetted and, you know, obviously their cost structures and things will vary depending on, you know, kind of what they do and where they are. Um, but I definitely would reach out to one of those professional associations and look at their databases of members because, you know, generally you want someone who's certified. You don't want someone who just decides that like, yeah, I'm good with money. So I'm going to advise other people. Like you want someone who, who has a background in finance. Um, you want someone who is certified to look at your finances and give you advice, um, which is why I always say like, I'm not a coach. Like I can, I can give you some general advice, but like, I'm not a coach because, um, you know, I want to leave that to the professionals who, who do that every day. Be discerning. Don't just trust everything you hear on the internet or on an app on your phone. Um, yeah. Make sure you're doing your research to make sure they know what they're talking about, because there's uh, a lot of people out there who are just going to tell you what they want to tell you. And you might get yourself in a lot of trouble uh, by following their advice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, yeah. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. And there you have it, my final uh, part of my interview with Sarah discussing student loans and financial resilience. This was a fun discussion. I wasn't expecting that and never thought I would say that I had a fun discussion with someone about student loans. But again, I hope it did provide some background knowledge for those of you who already have or are considering pulling out student loans to finance your higher education and just kind of Reflecting on the takeaways that I had from this discussion, I do want to clarify, you know, when I start talking about elitism, you know, that comes from a very personal anecdotal experience. There are, of course, benefits that come with going to any school. It really is what you make it. Uh, but I do stand by my opinion that society, the way it's been operating, you know, where you go to school tends to hold more weight than others. And I think we're kind of coming into a generation where people are realizing that that's not necessarily the best way to determine someone's, I guess, experience and whether they're capable of taking on a new job. Let's put it that way. Like, if you're looking at someone's resume and you see that they went to some Ivy League, you know, you shouldn't be saying, yep, hire them just based off of that alone. There are so many other characteristics and qualifications that, in my opinion, should go into that decision. Um, but I also am sure that there are people out there who would say, well, of course you feel that way. You don't go to an Ivy League. And maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. There's a lot of nuance and layers to this uh, discussion and to this topic um, at the end of the day, you have to make the best decision for you. It's good to hear different viewpoints and perspectives to get different opinions from people in your life who know you very well, as well as those who don't. Uh, do your research and just do the best that you can do. I think at the end of the day, you have to consider what are your non-negotiables when it comes to picking out a school and your next best step in terms of pursuing a career? For me, my non-negotiable was where can I get a scholarship uh, to go to law school? And that was pretty much what 
fueled any steps I took forward after that. So that might not be the case for some of you, and that's fine. Um, Again, it comes down to your personal situation, what you're hoping to get out of school, and, uh, you know, where you want to go after school. You are the only person that can decide that. My goal for this podcast, just like every other episode, is to interview someone who has a certain expertise on an area that they have passionately pursued and studied, and by sharing their story and what they've learned from that, we can also glean lessons from that to apply to our own life to become more resilient people. That's been my goal since day one. It's something I'm very interested in, and it still rings true today with this interview with Sarah. So take from it what you will. Again, everything Sarah has said is for educational purposes. It's not meant to be financial advice or financial coaching, but just to help you kind of become a more financially literate person when it comes to discerning whether student loans are right for you, especially if you are pursuing becoming more financially resilient as I am. So there were definitely some takeaways. I took myself um, hearing her thoughts on paying back loans and just discussing, you know, refinancing and consolidation. Um, It's always helpful to hear other people's perspectives on that as well. I hope you enjoyed it. Please consider to like, comment, subscribe. I am most active on LinkedIn, but I am also active on Instagram as well. Please feel free to subscribe to the Sailor's Daughter podcast. If you have any, you know, desires to hear from a certain person or on a certain subject, please feel free to reach out to me and thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.